Please turn in the scripture to uh, Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. We're going back to Exodus a little bit this morning. Not, uh, not going to spend a, a ton of time there, but it is helpful for us as we think about our topic this morning. Last week we talked a little bit about Adam being a son of God. And remember I started by saying that God the Son became a man in order to be the Son of God. Right? Kind of a strange way to think about it, but the Son of God is not so much meant as a divine title for Jesus, though of course He is the Son of God and has always been the Son of God, pre-existent before He became a man, He was the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. He always has been, always will be. However, the title Son of God uh, has to do with His incarnation. It has to do with uh, a title that is also given to some humans, Adam being a, for instance, and then what uh, uh, Bill calls uh, the corporate Adam, Israel. Israel is called a son of God. So last week we looked at Adam as a son of God. We saw that in Luke chapter 3. In verse 38, identified as a son of God. Uh, Jesus was born to be the second Adam. That's what we looked at last week, uh, to be the son of God in a way that Adam failed to be, right? In Scripture, there's always two, uh, two roles, two offices that go with this idea of being a son of God, and that is the role of a priest and the role of a king. Now, a role of a king, we saw, we see Adam doing that in Genesis 1, 26 and 28 in the commission that he is given uh, from God. Uh, he, as the Son of God, was to take dominion over the creation, to serve as God's king or as his vice regent, if you will, ruling and expanding the kingdom of God, uh, which was come to the earth. And so in this sense, he's representing God to the creation. There's also the role of priest, which we always see tied together with this notion of being a son of God. This role of priest representing then the creation back to God. Adam, as a son of God, and the way in which he exercised this role as priest was seen in Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17, where he is placed in the garden temple in order to work it and keep it. And if you ever see those two words together, in the rest of the Old Testament, it is always applied to the priests who are working and keeping the tabernacle or the temple. So it's a term that's always associated with these two words, are always associated with the priesthood. They serve in the temple and they guard it from unclean things. An example of this is in Numbers chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. You can look at it there. So sonship always points to priesthood and kingship. Always. Today we're going to turn our attention to what uh, what Bill uh, told you refers to as the corporate Adam, and that is Israel. God calls Israel his firstborn son, and we'll see today the nature of Israel's sonship, where it points not only to priesthood, but also to kingship. And this, of course, points us to why God, the son, becomes a man in order to become the son of God. Not only Adam failed to be, but also that Israel failed to be. 
So let's look at Exodus chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 22. You might recall there, this is God's instructions to Moses to go to Pharaoh and to say to him, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. So there it is in Scripture. Israel is my firstborn son. In order to get to the nature of that sonship, we turn over to Exodus chapter 19, and I'll read verse 6 to you from there. And you shall be, you remember they're at Sinai, and God comes and, and tells them, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Kingdom of priests, kingship, priesthood. In Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1, we read this, when Israel was called a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So there we see it again. The reason I read this passage in Hosea is I want you to see how Matthew uses it then in Matthew chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. This, of course, when Herod is coming to kill the baby Jesus, right? The Lord Jesus, he gets information from the wise men. He goes down to Bethlehem in order to seek out the supposed king, this supposed rival of his, and he's going to kill this child. And so you remember the angel came and warned Joseph, and so Joseph took the child and his mother by night and departed. And where did they go? To Egypt. And they remained there until the death of Herod, the king. This was to fulfill, this is what Matthew tells us, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Hosea, we just read, out of Egypt I called my son. Okay? So just as Jesus Christ was the true Adam, what Matthew is saying here is he's saying that Jesus is the true Israel. Right? He's the true then son of God. All right, so those were the passages I wanted us to look at. Would you pray with me as we ask for God's help to understand what He would say to us? Father, we come asking for and acknowledging our need for the work of Your Spirit in us. Lord, there's a mixture here. There's a mixture of those who believe You, they trust You, they love You. Uh, Lord, Your Spirit abides within them. We pray that You will use this Word to speak specifically to their need. Or what do they need to hear? How do they need to believe? What do they need to think? Lord, how do they need to change? What do they need to do? We pray that you would reveal that and show them. Lord, there are also in our midst this morning, surely, unbelievers, those that are outside of faith in Christ. We pray by the power of your Spirit that you would cause them to be born again and that they would hear and believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and come to saving faith. Do your work in our midst. May we know, all of us, each of us, may we know, Lord, may we not leave here without knowing that you have spoken to us personally. We pray your grace to us now as we come to your word, as it is preached, speak to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So perhaps you can relate to the old uh, African-American um, spiritual that comes from the days of their enslavement, their slavery. You know it. Nobody knows, right? Nobody knows. I would sing it, but no. Nobody knows 
the troubles I've been through. Right? Nobody knows my sorrow. Sometimes I'm up and sometimes I'm down. Sometimes I'm almost to the ground. Oh yes, Lord, I have my trials here below. Anybody relate? Do you ever wish and long for someone to simply know what it's like to be you? Someone who's been formed and fashioned by the relationships that you've had or that the ways in which you were raised, the ways in which you grew up, someone who has had your experience, someone who can really understand you, someone who can truly relate to you, someone who knows what it is like to be tempted in the ways that you are, someone who understands and can relate to how you've been abused or mistreated, someone who gets what it's like to be in your head, right? Some of you would say, I can't get what's in my head. I wish I could get out of my head sometimes. Do you ever want someone to be able to understand what's going on up there? Maybe even explain it to you. Someone that knows you. You and all your issues. Or someone that would be in your body with all of its pain. Or someone who knows what it's like to be lonely like you are. Or someone who has to deal with the particular people who are in your life that you have to deal with. Someone who not only understands, but someone who could help me. Someone who gets you and someone who can help you. You ever long for that? It might be scary to some of us, right? Someone knew us that well. But what if someone knew us that well? Yes, even all that stuff still loved us and was still able to help us. Do you not know? Do you not realize that there is someone who gets you and that there is someone who can help you? The one who sang the song, Nobody Knows, knew. Because in that song, the song continues. Nobody knows the trouble I have been through. Nobody knows but Jesus. Right? Nobody knows but Jesus. I want to tell you this morning that the Bible teaches that this is true. That God the Son became a man in order to be the Son of God, so He could be your high priest to do two things. One, to represent you, you in all of your you-ness, right? You specifically, yes, you, with all your stuff that's unique to you that nobody else knows and nobody else understands and nobody else gets. You in your you-ness, Christ has come to represent you, to represent you to God. 
And the second thing he did is he came to help you. To help you in your daily life. Every day. This is the role of a priest. Israel, identified as God's son, was to live out of that sonship, as we said, as kingly priest. A new and corporate, a new and now corporate Adam. But in Israel, we see those offices divided, right? So Aaron and his sons would become the priest, and they would be sort of the models or the representatives of what it meant to be priest, to meant what it meant to be a holy nation of people who were priests. And then David, later on, David and his sons would be the kings to model that side of what it means to be a son of God. Both of these offices were always destined, however, to be reunited once more. They were united in Adam, divided after the fall, but they are intended to be reunited. To be reunited, of course, in the true Son of God. Today we focus on the priestly office of Christ. Next week we will focus on the kingly office of Christ for David's son was also called a son of God. Christ serves as your high priest, and he does so in two ways. He represents you to God, and he helps you in your daily life. So this morning, I'm going to call you, I'm going to call you to do two things. Two things. First, just trust Christ to represent you. Trust Christ to represent you. And the second thing is to go to Christ for help. Go to Christ for help in your daily life. So first, let's think together about trusting Christ to represent you. So God the Son became a man, become the Son of God, in order to represent you to God, His Father. To represent you. And He does this in two ways. First, he represents you in his own righteousness. That is, he is righteous for us, and he represents us in his status. So in other words, he presents us to the Father in that righteous status. We are, as it were, righteous, like and as Christ, through the work that Christ does in our behalf. His righteousness and His righteous deeds become our righteousness and our righteous deeds. He represented us in the wilderness tempt temptations. You remember that? Remember last week I talked about that, reminded us it was a replay of the garden. It was a replay of Adam in the garden being tempted. Well, it was not just a replay of Adam's test in the garden, but it was for 40 days, and that 40 days is to remind us and point us back to the other son of God, to Israel, who was tempted and failed in the 40 years of their wilderness temptations. Jesus, however, did not fail. He perfectly obeyed the Father all the way to his death, we are told in Philippians 2. And the righteousness which is summed up in God's words from heaven when Jesus is baptized, 
when he pronounces from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You want to be a child who pleases the Father? You need to find yourself in Christ where he pleased the Father. If Jesus did not fail, And that righteousness that he lived out is given to those who trust in Christ. It is credited to them. So 2 Corinthians 5.21. And by the way, I know this is not new. <laughs> this is not new. If new stuff comes out of this pulpit, you need to fire me. Seriously. This, brothers and sisters, you don't live this. You don't live this. You have a hard time believing this. And you need to hear it time and time again. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He, the Father, made Him, Jesus, to be sin. We'll get to that in a minute. But He's the one who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. He didn't know sin, but He gives to us that righteousness so that we can be righteous before God. That's one way in which He represents us. He represents us as righteous to God. But Jesus also represents us a second way. And we see this more defined in the priesthood. It's hinted at in what I just read from 2 Corinthians. He became sin for us. That is, He represents us in our sin. He became sin, meaning He bears our sins and bears them on the cross and endures God's righteous and just wrath in our place. Jesus, as the great high priest, offers and sacrifices himself, sheds his own blood, representing you in your sins. Well, he represents us in this way. To listen to these passages from the book of Hebrews. Not new to many of you, but listen and believe what the Word of God says to us. Listen to the nuance here. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17. Therefore, he, Christ, had to be made like brothers, you, brothers and sisters. In every respect, he was made like us, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. We've talked about that word. It means that He is the wrath bearer, the one that bears the wrath of God for our sins. This is what He is to become in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. When Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not the one made with hands, that is, not of this creation, but He entered once for all, into the holy places, the real heavenly holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption 
For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, if they sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, will He purify our conscience from dead works in order to serve the living God? Chapter 9 and verse 26, just listen to the which he has represented you. For then he would not have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all, the end of the ages, to put away sin. How? By the sacrifice of himself. Verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him, has offered Himself, bearing our sins. Chapter 10 and verse 10. Continue to hear this as it hammers away at the reality of what Jesus is for us. And by that will, Jesus' will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And finally, verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, is how we have access to God. So just know (laughs) that God the Son becomes a man to become the Son of God in order to be your high priest so He can represent you to God. He represents you as one who is righteous, that is credited with His own righteousness, and He represents you as the one who is without sin because all of your sin has been judged in and upon Him. He offered Himself to bear your punishment. So I tell you this morning to trust His representation of you. Don't discount His representation of you. Don't ignore His representation of you because you cannot, because of your sin, be right with God without Jesus Christ representing you to Him. You can't. Don't trust in yourself. Don't imagine that you are good enough on your own. Do not deceive yourself by thinking that you're not too bad, especially in comparison with others. Scripture is clear. Go and read Romans chapter 3. There is none righteous. No, not one. That means you. You're not righteous in and of yourself. You, representing yourself, stand condemned, guilty. You will pay the cost. I call you this morning to trust only in Christ. Trust only in His representation of you. His innocence and His perfect obedience credited to you and your sins and your failures carried by Him to the cross. God had mercy upon Adam, and He had mercy upon Israel, the sons of God, but poured His wrath out upon the perfect Son of God for you. 
This is what he has done. Trust his representation of you. Second thing I'm calling you to this morning is go to Christ for help in your daily life. Go to him. God the Son became a man to be the Son of God in order to be your high priest so that he can help you in your daily life. The author of Hebrews tells us, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, that every high priest is chosen from among men. It's a human being. Not only to act on behalf of men, representing them to God through offerings and sacrifices on their behalf, but according to chapter 5 and verse 2, they come from men because so that, so that he, the high priest, can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. And it goes on to say, why? Because he himself, the high priest, is beset with weakness. So as a human, the high priest can empathize with his fellow humans. Now he may not experience all the troubles and sorrows of his fellow humans, but as a man, he can have compassion and sympathy and deal gently with the people that he represents to God. This is the very quality that makes Jesus Christ such a wonderful high priest for us. He is not unaffected by what you experience. He's a wonderful high priest for us. He's not unaffected by your troubles, by your sorrows. He's not unaffected, unaffected by your sins and your failures and your weaknesses. I want you to listen again to how the author of Hebrews explains Jesus' priesthood. He not only empathizes with us, but he also helps. Listen to these verses that speak of this aspect of his priesthood. Again, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17, but I want you to hear the, the compassionate and merciful side of Jesus. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. He had to be made like you in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Merciful and faithful. Merciful passionate. Verse 18 goes on to say, For because he himself suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are tempted. Chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace in a time of need. And then in chapter 7, in verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? Because he always lives to make intercession for him. And the point of he is an eternal high priest. He will be a priest forever. And he eternally 
always lives to make intercession for them. So we intercede for you forever. He knows you. Yes, you. He knows you. He knows what it's like to be you. And you may say to me, oh, well, he, he doesn't, he didn't, he, he hadn't been a woman. He didn't know anything about that. He never lived in the age of the internet and all the stuff that's on that. He doesn't know what it's like. Do you know what it's like? Do you know what it's like to be tempted with the kingdoms of this world without having to obey the Father? Do you have any idea of what that's like? To say something silly like Jesus doesn't know what it's to be tempted because he's God. That's silly because here's what he knows that you don't know. He knows what it's like to endure longer than you have. Oh, he doesn't know what it's like when I'm looking at the screen and I'm ready to click. He doesn't know what it's like. He knows what it's like to not click. He knows what it's like to endure longer than you. John Piper gave an illustration once. It's like temptation is like climbing this rugged rock face. And you're climbing up and you're, you know, to get to the top is resisting temptation. And it's like you're climbing and your fingers are getting bloody and you are tired and you're weary and click. You're free. You fall into the temptation. You give in and it's over. The struggle's over. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 says that Jesus, that Jesus endured is you, you have not endured. You have not struggled in your sin to the point of bleeding. Speaking there of his death on the cross, but it's also speaking of him in the garden where he is agonizing over what he must do to follow God's will. And what does he do? He sweats blood. Do you know what it's like? To face that kind of temptation? You do not. Do not say silly stuff like, he doesn't know what I go through. Who do you imagine you are? He is a compassionate high priest that knows everything about you. He knows far more than you do the depth of your own sin, the depth of your own temptations. He knows all the stuff you have had to put up with in your life. He knows. He is a compassionate high priest and He can help you. He's the only one that can help you. He's the only one that really knows. How does He know you? He knows you because He is God and because He made you. You. With all your stuff, He made you. He knows you. He knows you because He is in you. By His Holy Spirit, He lives in you. He is in your head and in your heart. He knows exactly what you deal with every day. 
knows you. Knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your troubles and he knows your sorrows. He knows your temptations and trials. Not simply as one who as a human has experienced such things, but dwelling in you. He experiences those things too. He knows what you have experienced and what you are experiencing. He helps you. He helps you by praying to His Father for you. He helps you by giving you real-time grace. By His indwelling Spirit, He gives you specific guidance. He gives you strength. He gives you instruction from His Word to respond as you ought to the trials and temptations of your life. You are not alone. He is with you and He is in you. So go to Him. Go to Jesus Christ for help daily. He is always with you. He will never leave you, never forsake you. He came to earth to be with you, to help you. So go to Him, appeal to Him for aid, for help. Sometimes that help comes by instruction or by encouragement from His Word. Sometimes it comes from inner courage or inner strength, peace, consolation by His Spirit that lives within you. Sometimes it comes from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes the help comes from unexpected places, maybe the care or blessings that you receive from strangers, maybe a change in circumstances. But be assured of this. As you rely upon Jesus for help, you will discern his directing hand and all the various ways in which help arrives. So stop trying to figure it out on your own. Don't rely on yourself. Don't rely on the power, your own power or your own resources, but depend wholly on Jesus Christ and go to him daily for help. It's the help that only he can provide. So surely you see. Surely you see in these passages that we have looked at this morning that He has great compassion for you. And that compassion, you know what that is, right? That word compassion, it's like He's got guts for you. It's like He's moved in His bowels. And when He's moved, He acts. He acts on your behalf. His love for you comes and acts. comes in action and he will be moved to act to help you when you go to him for help. So God the Son became a man so that he could be the Son of God in order to be the priest that Adam and Israel failed to be. He did this in order to represent you to God in both his righteous status and as an atonement for your sins. And He did this in order to help you in your daily life, in order to live a life in service to God. As what, by the way? As sons of God, as priests, and as kings. And I'm using the male terms there because all you women are not in some kind of secondary role of being a daughter or being a queen. You understand me. 
But praise be to God the Son, Jesus Christ, who became a man in order to be our great high priest.